This is the Birth Uprising Podcast. I'm Dr. Sarah, a chiropractor and birth educator, and I'm here with my co-host Emily, a preconception coach and doula. We want to help you to think more critically about what you've been told is necessary and normal during pregnancy and birth, and to discover all the options you weren't told in your seven-minute OB appointments. All right, welcome back to the Birth Uprising podcast. I'm Dr. Sarah, and we have a special guest this week, Amanda. Do you pronounce your last name Pals or Pauls? It's Pauls, but but I like Pals too. (laughs) I think Pals is fun. It is fun. (laughs) Amanda Pauls. We met on Instagram, and she has five little girls, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Five little girls, and she's had one loss, and we're going to talk about today all of the things, the differences in her births, what she chose, some of the things that, uh, air quotes, went wrong in her home births that people would normally be maybe a little bit nervous about, maybe think twice about being at home again, you know, the average person might say. And we're also going to talk about her loss and what that was like, because anyone who has had a loss I mean, it can be different for everybody, but I think a lot of us know, like we were talking before we started recording, and you were saying it was very much a birth. And I think a lot of us have experienced that, but for those of us who haven't, it's good to kind of know if that does happen to you, what it can be like, and what the grieving process is like, and then you went on to have another baby, and, you know, what that pregnancy was like after having a loss, too, so... Thank you for being here, and why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your family? Yeah, thank you for having me. I am Amanda Pauls, and I am a happy mother to five daughters, all under age 10. Um, We are living in Kansas, and uh, my husband is a college professor slash um, worship pastor in our local church, and I have just become very passionate about birth. I love it. I love learning more about it. I'm very grateful for my experiences and I love getting to be a part of um, educating others about it. So I'm really honored to be here. Well, I am so glad that we finally made this work because we had been talking about this since way before I even started this podcast, since I've tried to do it three different times. (laughs) Um, But finally, third time was a charm. And she is decided to reach back out so that we could talk about some of these things that have happened to you. So can you tell us, so your first was a hospital birth. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to be in the hospital and how was that for you? What went on and what made you decide next time to not do that? Yeah. So I think we did hospital just because it's what you do. Um, Mm -hmm. We did do Bradley method classes with our um, chiropractor who had had home births but we didn't know anybody other than her who had had home births. And so like looking back, I don't even think we thought it was an option. We just thought it's our first baby. We have to have our baby in the hospital, but we did get really educated. I wanted an unmedicated birth. I felt really prepared. Um, and um, I, th- I think our hospital birth was pretty typical. So my water broke at home. We waited um, for quite a while went in um I was dilated to a five and 
for me, hospitals are really, um, they're just painful. They trigger a lot of trauma. And I don't think I knew how to articulate that before, before that, um, birth. But as soon as I got to the hospital, everything stopped for me. My labor kind of just stalled. Um, and it did so for 30 hours. And so I, yeah, I was having pretty regular contractions that, um, the fetal monitor was broken, so I needed to stay in bed. But when I was in the bed, I wouldn't have any contractions. As soon as I would walk, they'd start back up. But um, they kind of teased me, like, no, you need to stay in bed. Um, the pain, I wasn't really in that much pain. Uh, but after it's about 24 hours, they were like, we're going to start going on antibiotics and just a lot of policies. And um, then they, they said I could get a C-section or um, an epidural. So I didn't really have a, a choice and it was a really painful moment because I was, it was like a kid getting a spank and I was crying and begging them not to. Um, I was asking why I needed the epidural and the only reason given was if you don't have it, you're going to be too tired to push. Um, I didn't know then that I could have just said, no, I, I, I really didn't know how to advocate for myself in the hospital setting. I was teased for wanting to feel my birth. I was um, not like super mean, but definitely like mocked. Um, and so um, actually, so they hit a nerve when they did the epidural. And yesterday I was making my daughter's bed. And it still feels like if I if I bend over just the right way, um, mm-hmm. it's, it feels like I'm being stabbed. And I was like, I'm so sad that 10 years later, um, I still have that pain but anyways uh pushed six times she was here it was wonderful we went home but um I dealt with a lot of uh sadness after her birth it wasn't what I had hoped for I was so grateful I got to have her vaginally um but uh the epidural only worked on one side of my body so it was a really weird experience and Pain meds genuinely make or generally um, make me feel really, really sick, and so it it was just like this weird, eerie, yucky. I did not like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, still very grateful, but we got home from the hospital. I just told my husband, like, I I don't want to do that again. Like, I I hated it. I hated my back hurt so bad. I remember asking for a heating pad, and they gave me like this. It was a broken water heating pad. Um, Why was everything broken at this hospital? <laughs> it was, I know, everything. Um, and I was allergic to the gel that they would use. So like my, oh, like my geez. stomach broke out and it was like so itchy and the IV hurt worse than any of my contractions. Like it mm-hmm. was by far the worst part. Um, well, I'll say what happened to you with the epidural. They, first of all, they never warned you of any of this. But it's very common both for it to not work on one side or for some people to not work at all or for them to do it improperly and have to do it multiple times. And some women do have pain in that area indefinitely. It's not necessarily something they feel every single day, but it can come back. Like I had a C-section with my first and every once in a while, never my scar really doesn't bother me usually, but every once in a while I'll be in the shower. And the water will just hit it just the right way. And it just, it feels really funny. Mm-hmm. But it's always, it's always there and it's always a reminder. So 
If they hit the wrong spot or they puncture the wrong thing, you can get the worst headache of your life. You can end up needing a blood patch. You can have nerve damage. Yeah. And they, they don't tell you that, which is a really sad. I think that some people might second guess it. They might be like, wait a minute. Is yeah. it really worth it? Or, or maybe I could, you know, hold off a little bit longer on it because I don't want to have to deal with that. So, yeah, I had I'm researched epidurals. Yeah, thank you. And I so I knew I did not want one, um, mm-hmm. but it, I wasn't given a choice. It was we're going to give you an epidural mm-hmm. or a C-section. Um, and given those two choices, mm-hmm. it, it's yeah, it wasn't a medically necessary thing at all. It was just. I was taking a while to progress. And now I know it's because mm-hmm. I wasn't comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, I was scared and did not have those feelings with my home births. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's what led me to want home birth. And I, um, we met a midwife and um, her assistant was actually who became our midwife because she was uh, training her up. And she became um, one of my closest friends. She is, she's delivered uh, four of our daughters and I love her um, dearly. She knows me more intimately than uh, most other humans. And I was so grateful to have the redemptive birth. So I'll just kind of move along each one kind of. Mm-hmm. Our first, um, I drank castor oil, which a lot of people are, I don't know if I should have, but the midwife that we had was leaving for Haiti. Um and because the assistant just couldn't take over for me, it was have that midwife and and try to induce with castor oil or run the risk of her being in Haiti for the next month and not get to deliver. So that part was a little sad because I didn't want to do anything, um, mm-hmm. anything like that. But and, um, it was 39 weeks and felt OK. I still have mixed feelings about it, actually. I didn't want to do it, but we did. And they got to our house. I wasn't having any pain or feeling any contractions, and I was dilated to a nine. And so they said, you know, how are you feeling? I felt great. Um, Waited about an hour, and I was a 10, and I still wasn't feeling my contractions, Mm -hmm. um, which was quite bizarre. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I'll come back to like, I'll come back to what we learned a few years later about that, but um, was fully, fully dilated. Nothing was happening. And so, um, she made the decision to break my water and, uh, within two minutes, our daughter was there. It was, a. I said, I feel, it was awesome. I said, I feel some pressure. I think I'm going to go poop. And they said, why don't you hop in the tub? (laughs) I pushed once and I said, you can reach down and grab her. And I said, what? What? It was so, it was such a weird experience because I was waiting for like the moaning and holding Chris's hand and like, can it be like, you know, no, it was so fast and awesome and no tearing, no damage. And it was just, wow, it was, it was incredible. And Chris was like, he was scared at first. He was, we didn't have anyone in our social circle who had done it and it is Mm -hmm. taboo. Um, and we had a lot of family who thought maybe, don't mm-hmm. um but he was like totally sold out he was like instantly just a home birth advocate and um so excited he was like it was just so cool and um that was 16 months to the day after our 
first was born. So she got to be there. And um, so then our third birth was another home water birth. You can stop me and say anything if you need to. Oh, no. I just, well, that story is crazy. See, I've had dreams. I've had so many dreams, even since I was pregnant with my first son, where I wake up and I'm just like in bed and a baby comes out and there's no, I didn't feel anything. And I'm like, oh, look, here it is. And that has not been my experience when I really birthed children. So this is like, that was like my dream realized for you. Oh, that must have been so strange. It was weird. It was awesome, but it was very weird. But yeah, awesome. (laughs) So my third was um, another another home, home water birth. And I, I had been feeling really weird, but I wasn't having like any Braxton Hicks or anything. And at my 39, I think I was 39 and a half week appointment, my midwife said, do you want me to check you? She really is like, she doesn't want to do anything, you know, mm-hmm. you don't want her to. And I said, yeah, I just feel so weird. Like I feel this weird, heavy burning feeling. And she, she was like, you're a nine and I can stretch you to a 10, like right now, like you are, what is happening? And so she's like, look at your stomach. And she said, you can't feel that. And I said, no. And she's like, you're having massive contractions. I was like, what the heck? So I was like, I kind of feel a tightening. But she was like, she's an hour away. She's like, you're going to go home. Like, we're going to follow you. Like, you're, you're going to have a baby. And so she came and um, her assistant came and a photographer came. And then nothing, nothing at all. Dial it into a 10. I I have this weird pressure, but no contractions. And so she's like talking to all her midwife friends, like, what, what, what is this? And so um, we went to bed. We had, we had like a pizza party that night. We went to bed, we woke up and she said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have you try um, a few things. We're going to have you like speed walk and do some curb walking. Um, And finally I started having contractions, but they didn't hurt at all. Like I could barely feel them. And so I said, I think, I think my water just needs to break. And so um, as soon as my water broke, her head was there, but she couldn't come out. I could not push her out. There was no pain, but no matter how hard I bared down, I could not, it was like nothing. So um, Hmm. my midwife said, Hey, I want to see something. I think she might have a nuchal hand and she um, moved the baby's hand, reached up, moved it, and she came right out and um, that was a moment where I was really, really grateful because I have several friends whose babies have been born with a nuchal hand and had like mm-hmm. severe fourth degree tearing. Um, and I was not even sore, like there was nothing. Mm-hmm. So she prevented me from having, like, I just think if had she not had the, the intuition to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my last had one. It was hard for them to tell because I was in the pool. Yeah. But one of my midwives said that he had one. And I did tear with him the worst of my home births. Oh, yeah. But I think, I mean, probably because of that, but also they just come out so fast. So fast. Flying into the water like a torpedo. And that doesn't doesn't help. (laughs) No. Yeah, I, and she acted so quickly. I mean, I, she said, push, and I said, I really am. I said, I don't, like, and so she, so I'm so grateful that she did that. But mm-hmm. 
after she was born, we knew something was off because I'm not feeling my contractions. I'm fully dilating. Um, so I ended up having my chiropractor do some x-rays and discovered that my tailbone was jacked up like so bad. Um, hmm. And it had probably broken. There was a recent fracture in my labor with my first, which is probably why my back hurt so bad after mm-hmm. labor. Like, but didn't know. So mm-hmm. the x-ray revealed that um, my tailbone was broken in a direction that was pushing into my sciatic nerve. Mm-hmm. So probably caused some nerve damage. So I have bad sciatic nerve pain when I'm pregnant, but can't feel labor. Hmm. It's weird. Hmm. It so is, is this necessarily a problem? I know, like, but it's very bizarre. Yeah. It is, it is bizarre because that's, that's not most people's experience. But, I mean, you were smart to go have it checked out, realizing that, this isn't normally what happens because you didn't feel this with your first, right? With your first, no, my, it was totally different. First was normal contractions. They, yeah. they burned. They were hot. They yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah. So you knew what it felt like before and now you had something to compare it to. Those, I mean, those stories are just crazy. It's you know? weird. It's, it's weird, but I mean, kind of good. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. And. But yeah, it just makes for, um, yeah, a weird birth. And I'm like, have a home yeah. birth, have a home birth. But then I'm like, do I, sometimes I feel guilty saying that because I'm like, I don't know yeah. that I've had the full experience. But the this brings me to like my next where some few things happened that um, usually when you tell someone you're having a home birth, their first thing they say is, what if something happens? Exactly. What if something goes wrong? Mm-hmm. And I always like kind of want to giggle because I'm like, well, they'll take care of it. Just like if, you know, (laughs) if something, hopefully you have a really competent midwife that you're comfortable with and is highly trained. I know there are horror stories of, I'm not a great midwifer, but Mm -hmm. I feel like mine is best. But with our fourth, um, it was another home water birth and it was the same thing. I said, I feel really weird. I think I want you to come check me. I said, I think I'm dilated at least to a nine. And she laughed and kind of teased me. And she said, if you are, she's like, I, I quit. Like, you know, we just laughed and she came and checked me and she's like, you are an extremely stretchy nine. Um, she's like, so what do you want to do? Cause she's like, I'm an hour away. Um, if you, if your water breaks, like you're going to, you know, be alone because mm-hmm. it's usually minutes. So we decided she would come down in a few days and um, be with me and and break my water to be right there because I was fully dilated again. So we're like, we just have to wait for my water to break. And so she's like, she does not like breaking water. She's like, you're the only person I will do this for. I do not (laughs) like intervening. Like, it, it always makes her bummed out. But she's like, but at the same time this is different so uh hers was um like zero pain like it did not feel the ring of fire um we filmed it in a gopro in the pool and Hmm. 
I, it was like the first time I'd ever felt the fetal ejection. Mm -hmm. It was, I was just breathing and all of a sudden she, her head was born. And I, I said, her head's born. And she said, what? And, I'll, you know, our girls are all around and it was really exciting. And it was like a, a two push situation and she was out. Um, and it was so cool. And then uh, my midwife looked at me and kind of had this concerned look. And she said, how do you feel? I said, I feel great. Um, and I had never seen like blood fill the pool before. Mm -hmm. And instantly the blood, the pool went real dark like jaws style <laughs> i mm -hmm. said oh i said something up and she said yeah uh something's up she's like i just want you to take a deep breath she said you're not gonna love what i'm gonna do but um she's like i'm gonna do some deep tissue massage and so she really started um you know massaging my uterus mm -hmm. and within i mean seconds got um bleeding to stop just by some that hurt that hurt that hurt so bad yeah. that um but she was able to completely stop this hemorrhage. And I don't know that anybody else would have known anything was going on. I mean, she handled mm -hmm. it with such poise and just let me know what was going on enough for me to um, to do what she needed. But it wasn't scary mm -hmm. at all. And I think about that a lot because I'm like, I don't know if someone else would have freaked you out and, you know, said you're hemorrhaging or got to get Pitocin or had it been like a really extreme situation where she just was, Hey, this is what's happening. Here's what I'm going to do. You're not going to love it, but we're going to work together. And it was awesome. Well, I think that's the difference between somebody who really knows what they're doing and someone who does not, because you, in a situation like that or any kind of emergent situation, there needs to be somebody who is calm, cool, and collected so that everybody else doesn't freak out. So inside, yes. she might have been feeling like, oh, I really got to get a handle on this. But not letting you know was the best option, really, because uh, what's the point in you also getting freaked out? And then, right. you know, and then the whole tone of the room changes. Mm -hmm. She knew what to do. She helped you the best she could. She took care of the situation. And no one was the wiser of, you know, whether it was a situation that she was actually worried about inside. And I will say, so what she did to you is called fundal massage. Yes. Lots of women send me stories about, horror stories about it, because it can be very uncomfortable. And it there is a place for it. Like, it okay. helped you. And that in your case, it was a useful tool. But a lot of times, especially in hospitals, nurses will do it automatically everybody gets this and not everybody needs it and if they can be they can be super aggressive which can actually make things worse if you weren't already bleeding a lot so it's it's not something you have to accept in case you know you're someone who's listening that's pregnant or is thinking of having a baby sometime it is a tool but you don't have to accept it especially if you're not bleeding too much mm -hmm. it's not it's not a necessity all the time. It's just a good thing to use when necessary. Yeah. And I will say she was not aggressive. I mean, it was powerful, but mm -hmm. it was, she had full control and it was like, I mean, if you got a massage, but it was, she, it was interesting how she just went 
right mm-hmm. there. Like didn't I didn't end up having to get any pitocin or anything. And um, once we were settled and uh, was nursing and everything, I said, "Was that bad?" And she said, "Well, that's never great." <laughs> but she was able to handle it, and I, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was a, I think my first experience with if something goes unplanned. Well, it's also like you said about the pool filling up with blood. It's hard to tell how much someone's bleeding when they're in the mm-hmm. water. So I think yeah. that's also a challenge for midwives because, I mean, if you've ever even gotten a like a cut while shaving in the shower, you know that it just, it looks terrible. It looks like you're bleeding to death from this tiny little nick. And then if you're, you know, you just had a baby and you're in a pool, the pool does fill up and get dark, but a midwife needs to be able to discern you know, what's normal bleeding and how mm-hmm. much that changes the color of the water and what's more than normal bleeding so they know to get you out or to give you assistance. Yeah. So I was really impressed with mm-hmm. with that. So then our next, um, our next baby was our miscarriage. It was so bizarre. We had, it was a Sunday. I was 11 weeks. So we told our girls that we were pregnant on Christmas. And this was, it was so exciting. And we found, we did the, We'd never done it before, but we did the sneak peek blood test mm-hmm. and, and found out he was a boy, um, which now it, it gave me a lot of closure um, just knowing. But so we had picked out the name Shepherd, and on Christmas, you know, told the girls and asked if they thought of that name. And so it was a Sunday and the whole day felt so weird. Like, the, I don't know. It just felt weird. And we decided on the name Lawrence. Little Women had become like our favorite story and Lori. And so we, we had decided to shepherd Lawrence. And I told Chris, I was like, I don't think I'm going to eat dinner. Like, I just feel really, really weird. And then, um, and I had never even like really thought about miscarriage. Um, so many friends and family have had him, but I don't know why. I, there, I just a naivety, I guess. I didn't really think about it. But every time that I've dilated I felt that hot, burny, stingy, weird feeling where it's like, you just feel it. And I felt that feeling just a super hot stinging inside. And I, and I, I remember just being on my couch and going, oh no, like mm-hmm. I'm dialing. I, I know this feeling. And I looked at Chris and I ran to the bathroom. We said, you're okay. And I said, no, something's, this isn't good. And it was like, I just went into full on labor i could feel my contractions which was hmm. bizarre um it, it i just had no idea that miscarriage looked like that i don't know that i had ever really thought about what it did present itself as um but it, the i mean it's it's gross to talk about but the amount of blood i lost was outstanding like it was mm-hmm. Um, so he got the girls a movie on and came into the bathroom with me and just sat there and, uh, delivered our son and we passed, passed him and what I, parts of placenta and just, I just was grabbing stuff and putting it on our counter. We both were in shock. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, called, called my midwife and, and called, uh, my sister-in-law who's an ultrasound tech. And she said, you know, don't worry about going to the hospital. Um, you're going to bleed a lot, um, pass as much as you can. 
go get in bed. And then it was so bizarre because I had never thought about too with a miscarriage that you would experience everything you do postpartum, the live birth. So I instantly, I always get the shakes real bad and get really cold. And so I instantly went into like the cold shakes and I was just so weird. I just thought, how did I not know? How did I not know this is what a miscarriage was? Um, and so I don't, I don't know really why I did it. I just started, I got on Instagram and started talking about it in my stories right then. Mm -hmm. I think again, it was the shock. I just didn't want to be alone. I was scared. Mm -hmm. Um, and the response, I remember that it was weird. I, I remember you talking about it. I don't know how I first came across your account, but I remember you talking about it and just feeling so sad for you because I've been through it multiple times myself. And I'm so sorry. It's been, thank you. It's been different every time. So it's not, I don't think for everyone it is how you described it and how you experienced it, but it can be that way. I think it depends on how far along you are, if mm -hmm. it's like really, really early or, or not. And just, you know, how your body feels is best to get everything out. And yeah. No matter how it happens, it's still super sad. And, you know, I actually, my second miscarriage, I had between my second and third mm -hmm. kid. And I did the same. I waited a few days, but then I, I did share about it on Instagram. And I feel like when you're in a community of people, even though we don't necessarily know everyone personally, because there's a lot of people on there. When you're in a community of people who a lot of whom are also mothers and may have gone through some of this as well, mm -hmm. it does make you feel less alone because it's really isolating, especially if you don't have anyone to talk to about it or, I mean, I don't know how you experienced this afterwards, but my first miscarriage was actually before I had my first son and I never imagined that would happen to me. And so I told people really early and then I had to go back and tell those people oh. that I wasn't pregnant anymore. And that was really hard. So anytime I've been pregnant since, I wait mm. a long time now because I just don't, it makes you have to relive it over and over and over. Every time you, you know, come into contact yeah. with somebody who you told, and sometimes you forget that you told someone mm. and they come back and say something to you and you're like, oh no, like you, you thought I was still pregnant this whole time. Oh no. Yeah. You know? So did you, did you tell anybody about it? I mean, you told the kids. So we announced it on Christmas that it was December mm -hmm. 25th. To so everybody? We, yes. We made like mm -hmm. a, we said like the girls agree, like this is the best gift their brother. We had like an ultrasound picture Aww. as a last gift. And I, we always tell people like the moment we find out we're pregnant. Like mm -hmm. I don't, we have them named within like a minute. <laughs> like yeah. I just, it's, I've always just done it that way. And mm -hmm. I never thought about that aspect of having to tell people. Um, I think for me, I was so comforted by people knowing. Um, because I, I like wanted the, I don't know how to explain it. I didn't feel alone. Mm -hmm. And then, but I did feel really weird because it was just so unlike anything I'd expected. And then just that shock of like, oh, like, 
this just happened and now what am I supposed to do? Um, and why did that happen? And then the amount of message, I've never had this many messages from anything and I wasn't going to talk about it anymore because I was like, maybe I shouldn't have got on here and done this. And realizing so many women were looking for um, affirmation and comfort, um, I thought, well, I mean, I already shared it, so I might as well just like talk about it all the way. And the question I got the most was really surprising, but it was, what would, what did you do with his body? And this these heartbreaking stories of, it happened to me at work and I didn't know what to do. Um, or my, my baby's body is still in our freezer years later. Cause I don't know what to do or, or in a coffee can, in the garage. Cause I just can't it, like so many just sad stories of women just mm-hmm. going, I don't know what to do. And so I was just brutally honest and said, I can't remember. Like I asked Chris, I said, what, did, what did we do? He's like, you know, toilet or, or we would put him in the trash can because it was just so much blood happening. Like, mm-hmm. um, and so that opened up another avenue to just go forgive yourselves. Like no one did anything wrong. Like there was, you know, I had so many people tell me they were in therapy because I had so much guilt with not giving their baby's body a certain burial. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, we have to talk about this because there's people that are really grieving from the trauma thinking they did something wrong. And it was almost just like a biological response or reaction to do what we did. Um, mm-hmm. So that part was surprising. And I, I've never heard people talk about what they do with, with the, their baby's bodies. Um, I know at a certain point, there's much more that has to be done. But, and just the shame and guilt um, that comes from that aspect. Well, and I can I can say, too, from my experience, sometimes it doesn't happen in a way that anything is recognizable. Mm-hmm. And so that can also make you feel bad, like you never even got to see them or all of it just did get flushed down, yeah. you know, because you couldn't tell what was what. And yeah, I've never no no one's really talked to me about that, but that's that's a really good point and something that I think probably should be talked about because if you know as many women are having miscarriages as I know know. are and probably more than I know yeah it's something that they need to decide on and to make sure that they can kind of look back on that and have closure and not feel regret over what they did or didn't do right but also it's something that nobody probably wants to talk about especially if you haven't been through it yet. Be yeah. a weird conversation to have, you know? Well, yeah, it got me thinking so much about, I mean, they are normal in a sense. They don't feel normal, but they're very common. And I thought, I know mm-hmm. that like when you go to your first checkup or anything, you don't want to be like, okay, there is this possibility. But um, so many women started messaging me like hey i'm miscarrying like right now in real time what what mm-hmm. what can i do and so i said put a strainer in the toilet if you want to catch anything um get go have someone go have a friend go get you some heavy pads because i i had no idea the amount you would bleed and mm-hmm. so i thought man i wish there was something that was some kind of 
I mean, it sounds so gruesome, but like a miscarriage kit. So just in case, Mm -hmm. worst case scenario, uh, you have a strainer, maybe a special box if there is enough, you know, matter Mm -hmm. that you can identify because it's just, it feels like it's too common for us to not have any preparation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Or or at least like a a list, you know, like some kind of guide. And I can feel, I can feel my wheels turning on something that I need to make now. Yeah. A guide of if this does happen, you know, what you might want to have on hand, things that you might want to think about. I do have a kind of a guide to supporting a friend or family member who's going Mm -hmm. through a miscarriage. That's free on my website because I feel like it is sadly so common. Mm -hmm. And like I've experienced myself when I, was pregnant and then not people are weird they don't they don't know what to do they feel really terrible but they don't know what to do and so they either they either just kind of shut down and don't talk about it Mm -hmm. or like ignore you for a bit or they they might apologize but then they don't know what to do next or how to support you and so I do have that but I don't have anything like this and that would be something that I'm sure would be very useful yeah I I think it would be I mean we get postpartum checklists for you know Mm -hmm. birth I think it's just it would be helpful for a lot of people because I Mm -hmm. I was clueless I thought I'm 35 I've got four kids and I had no no idea so Mm -hmm. I think that maybe you should do that okay all right, it's on my to-do list for 2023. You got it. Um, it's getting a long, long list is uh, coming together this year. That's so cool, though. I, I, I love so having five daughters. You know, I think about what it will be like for them when they're having babies, and I'm like, I love that people like you are paving the way for things not to be taboo and to be so educated. And it's cool thinking about how how different some of these things will be handled you know, Mm -hmm. a few years from now. Well, and, and for you to be going into your births and, you know, all of your kind of care as a woman with those girls watching, I think that that's really important because they're going to grow up thinking that that is normal and that that is what people do. And they're just like lots of kids grow up thinking that you go to the hospital and, you know, that's just what you do. Yeah. This will be their norm. So they may integrate that differently and think about their bodies differently because mm-hmm. of what they've seen you choose. Yeah. There's no embarrassment or shame. You know, I'm just, baby's going to come out of my vagina. It's going to be awesome. And I don't know if I mentioned that. Yeah. They've attended all of our births and been um, very hands on and are, they're there the whole time. And there is no weirdness. And mm-hmm. I know it's, it's different for everybody. I love having people around me. I've had friends at my births and um, I, I love the comfort of, of being touched physically and, and having people around. But I, because my births have been what they've been, there's not usually any like heavy moaning or, or screaming or anything that would be scary for them. I know some mm-hmm. people are like, I'm afraid to have them there because it's so intense, but I do let them know. I don't know what it exactly is going to be like, but you know, we're so excited and um, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna have babies if they want babies. So 
it's exciting to go. They're not going to have to feel any weird um, shame involved in mm -hmm. everything that happens. See, my um, kids, I have three boys. So okay. It's it's it would different be different. For them. Yeah. But at the same time, they've they've been around when I was in labor, but I'm the kind of person that does not want anyone touching me at all. Yeah. <laughs> so that and like I need the quiet and they, you mm -hmm. know, they're little and they just can't be. It's not possible. Mm -hmm. And they want to be involved. And I just like I just want to do my thing. And so they stay for a bit. But um, the last two births I had that were at home. They went to a friend's house and had a sleepover. And for them, like a family that we've known, we went to chiropractic school with them. Okay. And they're they're a chiropractic couple and we're a chiropractic couple. And hey. they live down the street from our, our office. So um we've known them a really long time and that's the only place they've ever had sleepovers. And so they mm -hmm. just love sleepovers. But for them, they go have the sleepover. We can like I can do my thing. Mm -hmm. We can clean everything up. Everybody's ready. They come back and surprise, you have you have a new sibling and it just seems so easy. My my first son, he went and had the sleepover when I was in labor with my second. Came back and he said, "Oh, baby, so pink, so cute. Aww. So so easy." And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, for you, dude, cuz you were <laughs> you were having a sleepover, probably like eating pizza and whatever." Yeah. And that was that's not my experience, but I'm glad that I'm glad it was easy for you. And yes, he is cute. Yeah, we did have friends take our our third when we had our fourth because she was just she's a wild little thing. Yeah, um, and she did. She came. They went and got her as soon as as soon as Frankie was born, and it was kind of her. Mm -hmm. Wait, the baby is here. <laughs> but surprise! Yeah. So our fifth baby, baby. Or this six six baby, mm -hmm. um, everything everything was so different. Um, like from the get go, uh, I don't know that we were we hadn't really talked about trying after the miscarriage. That's like a whole other mm -hmm. thing. That um, but we did get pregnant and we were wildly excited. I felt different, like instantly and I kept joking I said watch I'm pregnant and it was a joke but it was just so I was so grateful because I didn't want it to end on that loss yeah. um it was just such a weird I don't know I, I I just so badly wanted not a baby to replace him by any means but just mm -hmm. I wanted all of it again um so I've never I never had morning sickness with my other pregnancies and with um, our daughter, Noble, I puked for 23 weeks. Ugh. Like, it was just so bizarre. I had terrible pregnancy eczema, which I never had. I had, like, frisbee-sized oh frisbee rashes um, on my just, hips. It was crazy. Terrible. It was awful. I had to wear mittens to bed every night or I'd scratch myself bloody. It was... So my midwife was like helping me, like for trying to figure out what is going on, like doing lab work, and it just was like, mate, what is wrong? Like it was, it was a really difficult pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Um, just my, I didn't really talk about my other pregnancies, but they they all had really intense sciatic nerve pain because of the mm -hmm. the back injury, but that was it. That was like, 
the only thing. So this one was like made up for, I gained a lot of empathy for friends who have had rashes and, um, and they, they didn't go away till weeks postpartum, but the mm. whole, the whole time I had this intuition and I'm very much like, not like hippy dippy, but I feel like intuition is so big. I had this weird feeling like something was going to be very different. And I kept expressing that to my midwife. Like, I don't know what it is. I just know something is going to be really different. And I ended up getting COVID um, at eight months. And I don't know if that played into my body or whatever, but there was just a sense of this birth isn't going to be like my other births. And so it was this, it was the same thing with the others. I felt like I was really dilated. I had her come over and check and I was again a nine and <laughs> not having any contractions that I could feel. And so but my blood pressure went like off it got so high and I've never had that happen. And I was getting dizzy and feeling a lot of weird things. And so we decided like, hey, let's let's do what we always do and let's break my water and have this baby. And so we waited till it was a 10 again, couldn't feel, um, but when she broke my water, it was neon green. Oh, and that was different. And so <laughs> that is different. Mm -hmm. It was uh -huh. gushing out like fire extinguisher green. And wow. she's looking at me and I said, is that meconium? And she said, yeah. And she was so calm. And I said, what do we do? And she said, she like, was like, look me in the eye. And she could see I was getting scared because I've only really heard horror stories. Um, and she said, Amanda, it's thin. There are no chunks. This is okay. This has not hurt your baby. And she was just so, again, just so calm and was able to keep me in that moment. And she said, do you want to deliver here or do you want to deliver in the pool? Because we need to move fast. Mm -hmm. I chose pool. I love being in that. I love birthing in water. I feel so safe birthing in water. And so we got in the tub. And I could feel uh, contractions, like hot burning. I'd never felt that. Like, I, I was so excited. I could, I was like, I feel it. I feel the tightening and the burning. And um, that was exciting. And so I... um. I was in the tub for 11 minutes, so things went pretty fast. I felt pressure, birthed her head, and things were fine. Um, her heart rate was 150. And then all of a sudden, you just, it was like so eerie, but like the ch 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 ch, -ch, -ch went to ch ch ch. And she looked at me and, um, was really serious and said we we have to get this baby out now you need to, you need to push your baby needs you and it was such a weird thing for me because I never had anything that felt really scary in birth but she went ahead and gave me oxygen um just to help me breathe the best I could and coached me so well and I mean it was just Amanda take a breath in chin down close your eyes like she was just so awesome to get me to do exactly what my body needed to do um and within three minutes um noble was born and and 
she was okay and she was a little floppy at first and that was scary and she just she was she worked so fast and um got her breathing and and it was it was a scary moment because there you'll understand this life after loss that whole time you know loss is right there like it's not a far away thing it's a possibility at any day and so every day that I stayed pregnant was a gift but it didn't seem like a guarantee mm -hmm. um and so we did we got out of the pool we we got bundled up and everything was okay everything was great but it was a huge what if something goes wrong like if you were in good care you were going to be um, taken care of and and things could have looked very different and they have looked different for my friends and in hospital settings and in home birth settings um for various reasons but it was a it was different it wasn't the norm it wasn't ideal but it was still so peaceful um and incredible i was still just given the best care um which yeah well, it sounds like you have, you chose a really good midwife who knew what she was doing, supported you in all the right ways, never made you feel like anything was super emergent and right. freaked you out and knew exactly what to do. Yeah. Hope that I helps. think some people don't have that. They get a midwife that they're maybe even comfortable with during their prenatal appointments, but they're not sure exactly how they're going to handle things when it comes time for the birth. And sometimes mm -hmm. I think, depends on the midwife, but some midwives get freaked out by stuff and they want you to transfer to the hospital for reasons that they really should have a handle on. Yeah. Uh, but they just, you know, they just don't. They don't have the information. They don't have the, um, the courage kind of to work through something like that because it's it is it can be scary to them too knowing that it's their license and also mm -hmm. they're responsible for you and for that baby because they've decided to take on your care so it sounds like you had a really good person to be there with you because people do get really freaked out about meconium yeah and from what i've learned it's not always a huge problem it can be Mm -hmm. um, but it's not always a huge problem. It sounds like she knew when she saw it, you know, like she had experience with it. And that gave her the confidence to say, I know exactly what to do. Yeah. You and your baby are going to be OK, but we need to do this now. Yeah. I tell all my friends like home birth or hospital or birthing center, like make sure the people that, you know, the providers are are cool that they they know what they're talking about and they can be calm with you um because i feel like in those moments like there's something that happens when fear takes over that changes situations and i go back to my first like i was just so scared and i, I could not relax i could not allow my body to to birth effectively um it felt so so scary and so i do think wherever you have a baby, like feeling safe and feeling like your providers know what they're doing is huge. I think that's part of why a lot of women get an epidural because mm -hmm. they transfer from their home where they do feel safe and comfortable to a place that is not their home at all. It's, 
you know, sterile, there are strangers, there are timelines, there are lights and monitors and things beeping at them and policies and they don't feel safe. And whether they perceive it or not, their body does. And their body says, I'm not I'm not in a place where I'm going to let this baby out right now because this is not a safe place. And so just like a cat who's about to you know, deliver her kittens. If she has two and then a dog runs up to the situation, her labor will stop and she'll run to someplace that's safe and then Mm -hmm. she'll continue giving birth when she feels safe again. It's the same for humans, even if we don't recognize that going on. And so I think when you're not dilating because you're holding on to the, the baby to keep it safe and you can't relax... They start recommending an epidural so that you can get some rest. Right. And then you you get one and think, oh, I can get some rest now. I've had one too. And and I do remember thinking, I didn't want one either. I had done my research. I didn't mm-hmm. want one. Um, and I got, you know, coerced into it eventually, kind of similar to you. Mm-hmm. And it ended up with a C-section anyway. So that was dumb. Mm-hmm. But I that was one of the things I was most afraid of, honestly, was getting, I knew the procedure for the epidural. I knew how big the needle was. I knew Ooh. where it went. I knew what was at stake. And mm-hmm. that that and an IV. I just really don't like people stabbing me with things. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that was, it was all, it was all not good. And I luckily didn't have long lasting pain. And I, di- I did say, huh, like this is like a, it's like a miracle I can rest now because you can't feel anything. So yeah, of course I- you can rest, you yeah. know, but there's a lot of stuff that comes with that. So if you decide to get an epidural, it should be, in, in my opinion, you need to know all the pros, all the cons, all the side effects, all the what Absolutely. ifs, and choose that from a place of, I'm in this situation now, and this is the best choice for me. I agree to it. Mm-hmm. So that later, you're not wishing you hadn't or wishing you had known, you know, there might be some kind of side effect or, you know just regretting your choice because you knew what you were getting into. Yeah. I think I was so bummed too that it was like, if you don't have this, you won't be able to push your baby out because you won't, you won't be arrested. And it, it took me like six minutes to, and so I think I felt upset. Like, how do you know how long it's going to, you know, take? And then, yeah. you know, like what I know now, like, that's not a reason no, they were lying to you. They, yeah. were telling, they were telling you that because they wanted you to get an epidural so you'd be in the bed and it would be easier for them. Yeah. But they don't, they wouldn't say that to you because then you'd be like, then no. But then if no, they say. I'll wait it out. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, if they say, you know, you're going to be too exhausted. I don't, you know, we do this all the time. We see this all the time. And this is our recommendation. And eventually they can break you down, especially if you're a first time mom and you've never done this before. You have no reference. And so you think. Well, you know, maybe I should trust them. Maybe they do see this more often than I do. And maybe they're telling the truth. But a lot of times they're not telling the truth. And their motivations are other than what's best for you. It's sometimes what's best for them. Sometimes what's best for the hospital. Yeah, sometimes there's policy. They can't. Yeah. They can't even. I'm like, even if you have the best doctor, there's so many policies that can't often work around. Mm-hmm. To give you the care that maybe they even want to. You can decline anything you want, but 
it causes them to do more paperwork and explaining. And I do think that depending on the hospital, you know, they can get in trouble a bit for going outside of those guidelines, even though it's really, it's still your choice. So they might treat you when you are refusing these things or asking for alternatives as a problem because you can actually be a problem for them yeah. when it comes time to do their notes and and explain things. And uh, that's wrong, but yeah. it's a part of being in a hospital, you know? Yeah, there's just so much. I mean, even though we prepared for the birth and how we wanted to birth, we had no idea anything hospital-related, like what... Mm -hmm what that part would be like and that was just I think a lot of women have found themselves and feeling so sad and then also not understanding oh this is trauma mm -hmm. so I don't know if I mentioned I was a therapist by trade I'm not practicing but that's what I was doing before babies while I was mm -hmm. having babies um and learn yeah learning about you know post-traumatic stress disorder and trauma it's like oh this I felt silly for feeling this, but this is this is actually how my body um, responded to these things that happened. And mm -hmm. it was traumatic. Right. I had the same thing. And I think it's sad for me because a lot of times I'll say something on Instagram, for example. I'll share something that people might have experienced badly. Mm -hmm. And some people have come to a place where... They say, you know, that I that happened to me. I ha I got tricked into an epidural and blah, blah, blah. There's always this group of people who will hop into the comments and just get mad, really mad, really defensive. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'll say something about not all C-sections are necessary. And they'll be like, my C-section was necessary. And if I w didn't have a yeah. C-section, my baby would have died and blah, 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 blah. All right, almost all of those people were traumatized and it's unprocessed. Right. And yeah. so they this gets brought up. The thought of this might not have been necessary comes into their head. They really want to defend what happened to them because otherwise, if it wasn't necessary, it didn't need to happen, then that's mm -hmm. horrible. And they have this whole thing that they have to, you know, work through. So they defend it. I learned early on with those comments or those messages to lean in rather than getting angry. And a hundred percent of the time when someone, when I do that and I say, you know, I'm really sorry that that happened to you and, you know, want to learn more about their story. They tell me more and they're, it's always some kind of trauma, but they're, they place the blame on me for sharing about it mm -hmm. rather than on the people who did this to them. Which right. is not helping them. But so many women, until I say something, I mean, even then, don't even realize they've been traumatized. And they think that it's just part yeah. of it. But if you don't have anything to compare to, you don't know. Yeah. I, I ran into this a lot. And I, I learned, like, I probably come off as annoying going, it didn't. Like, these, but they were my experiences. Right. And they're just as worthy as anybody else's experiences. Like, everyone's story has value and so um i well i have a friend i'd never been to a spa and she took me to a spa for a birthday present a few years ago and it was like a fancy mm. spa like 
we had to make she made reservations like months in advance and it's oh wow in this like limestone 1800s building it's cool it is cool if you live in kansas i will <laughs> tell you and you can go but um like towards the end of the day i was like oh my gosh this is it this is like the difference of what my home births have been to my hospital birth and i was like home birth was like a spa for me like um like I was their only, we were the only people they had. We didn't see other people the whole day. Like they greeted us with tea and or whatever drink we wanted. And everything was like, we were a massage and we were cared for and the, the lights were dim and it was how we wanted it. And the whole day was like that. And I thought my hospital birth was like, and I do not want to devalue anybody's hospital birth because I have friends who have had tremendous experiences, but it was like a Walmart pedicure that I've had. Every time I've gone to a Walmart pedicure, it's bright. There's people shouting. I, there's language being used that I don't understand. My chair is <laughs> always broken. The water heater is always broken. Like It's cold water. And both places I get a pedicure. But the, the story and the possible like trauma or healing has been extreme. I even had a pedicure one time where I got like a gnarly toe infection because mm-hmm. it was like, something weird was used and so i thought there's nothing wrong with going to walmart to get a pedicure or going to a spa to get a pedicure but your experience and the way you are treated and the story you walk away with is going to be undeniably different well i have to just say i didn't know walmart even did pedicures (laughs) they don't i don't think a fancy walmart i don't think they do that here but I, I, it's like a nail salon in the Walmart. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised what's inside of Walmart because they put everything inside of Walmart now. But I have never heard of that. But I will say, I also got a toe infection, uh, fungus from a nail salon years ago. Freaked me out. Careful. Never gone to a salon since. I'm just yeah, not gonna do it. Not worth it for me. I'll take care of my own toes. Yeah, I. It was just. My friend ended up, I convinced her, she ended up having a home birth after ha. after a few spa visits. And it was great. And it was, I got to attend it and it was incredible. Oh, it was wow. so good. But, um, I like, that's like my analogy now mm-hmm. is like, and, and again, providers are so important because I, I do know people who've had um, midwives who've just not been, they're burnt out maybe or, mm-hmm. but, but I thought. I don't know which woman woman I know who wouldn't want that like luxurious spa experience where I mean my midwife massages my shoulders and feet and rubs my hair and is with me and then comes the next day, two days after and a week after and two weeks after and four weeks after and six weeks after and just like that care that I'm like, I don't know anybody who wouldn't want that care. Right. Um, but like at a Walmart salon, it's like get in, get out. People are coming and going. You, I've had someone that was like working on all five people in the chair. So it was like nail polish remover, nail polish remover, nail polish remover. And it's like, but that's what you might get if you're if you go on a busy day or you don't know what you're gonna get. And I thought that was kind of like the hospital. I had no idea how many people were gonna be there. My doctor might have had to been going to multiple rooms. You don't. You're not a promise, and they want you in and out. And it's not that they don't want. You know, and there was just so many analogies. I was like, that's 
Yeah. I want that care for women. I don't. Yeah. It's not so much that, oh, I want you to have your baby at home. I want everyone to birth how they want. But I'm like, I do think that given the opportunity to be cared for in that way, I might like it. Yeah. Well, and I think, like you said, it to me as well, you should be where you're comfortable, what is accessible okay. to you, but generally a hospital is not the place that you're going to get that care and that time and feel comfortable and taken care of just because it's not set up for that. It is set up, like you said, it's like a drive through Like you go in yeah. and you come back out with your baby and they don't necessarily care what happened in the meantime, as long as you're not, you know, you nobody died uh, because that's a liability yeah. for them. They don't necessarily care if you have long-term issues or if you're depressed or have PTSD or they did a surgery you didn't need to have or whatever it is. They don't, they don't necessarily care because it's not set up for that. And then like you said about your midwife coming back, you know, a day after, two days after all those postpartum visits, they also don't have that. So you leave the hospital and they wash their hands of you until you come back or see your OB, whoever that was, at six weeks. Mm -hmm. And a lot happens in those six weeks. You know, you, yeah. you're you getting oriented to your new baby and you might be a new mom. And how's breastfeeding going? And how is your bleeding? And did you have any stitches? And all of these things, you have to wait a month and a half to to see anybody, to talk about. And they just... It's just not set up the same way to give you the same type of care. And I don't know anybody, I don't think, that if they had a hospital birth and then had a home birth, ever decided to go back to the hospital if it wasn't absolutely necessary. They mm -hmm. just, I mean, the, the level of care you just can't understand unless you've experienced it and stayed home. And I know that some people are nervous about it because... It's, you know, it's made to seem like it's really scary and dangerous in the mainstream. And for them, it may not be something that they ever do or they ever really entertain, but they really just don't know what they're missing out on. And I just wish that, I mean, the hospital system's never going to change. It's, it is how it is. You get what you get. Some hospitals are better than others. Some providers are better than others. At home, you have so much more control. You have your choice of who's going to be there. And the, whoever you see as a midwife through your visits, through your whole prenatal care, you know, you might see a couple because they might work in a group. One of those people that you took all this time to get to know in your 45-minute to hour appointments rather than seven-minute appointments with your OB, they're the ones that are going to be there supporting you. But you have no idea yeah. if you go to a hospital it could be one of 20 OBs that are in this practice. And it could be any number of nurses that you've never met and, you know, ultrasound techs and, you know, whoever else is there. Um, it's just, it's such a toss up. But being home allows you to have some more control over that and to feel a little bit safer because you have some say and some control over mm -hmm. it. Yeah, I want, like... I'm so grateful that we live in a place where we can choose where we birth. I just want, I, I like, I'm just like, I just want people to be able to experience like the best and to, and to be taken care of. 
um, I'm super passionate about mental health. And I'm like, I just feel like if women were afforded the, the postnatal care that in my experience, I've been afforded, like it's made me a better mom to my other children. It's made me a better wife. Like I've been able to process trauma before birth with my with my midwife through each birth and um i don't know that women are often afforded that and I, like they deserve it oh for sure i don't think most women are and i think pregnancy and birth and becoming a mother in general at least in the u.s but probably across the world are just seen as something that happens like it's an everyday occurrence and it is an everyday occurrence because people are having babies but it's huge you just grew a person from two cells into a whole person and you did all the work you know it's it's hard you know some people have an an easy pregnancy and some people have a really hard pregnancy especially if you have other kids that you're Mm -hmm. caring for some people still have to go to work the whole time and you're supposed to act like nothing is changing, nothing is happening. There are no like luxuries afforded to you. And then you have the baby and you're expected to just pop back and, you know, to overdrive and be, be a productive human when that's really just not what it's about. And it really contributes to people being depressed, depressed and having anxiety postpartum because they're just, they're not cared for. I have said it no. before and I will say it. Until the cows come home. And we don't have cows, so that's going to be a long time. That's going to be a while. That's going to be a long time. Um, That so many women end up with postpartum depression. And it's blamed on their hormones. It ain't their hormones. For some people, it might be. But I really believe that they are the minority. And that the majority of it is birth trauma. And lack lack of postpartum support. Because... You, if you had a traumatic birth, it's, you know, if you have PTSD, I had PTSD after my first, you can have Mm -hmm. PTSD from any kind of, uh, anything that happened to you that was traumatic. So if it could be birth, you could go to war, you could have had an accident, you could, all kinds of things can cause that. It's not just one thing. And they make it seem like, oh, how could your birth, you know, like it's, it's not a big deal. You know, not being in control of your body and your situation and having scary medical things done to you and making it Mm -hmm. making you feel like, you know, your life is on the line or your baby's life is on the line. That can be really scary and traumatic. And then to go through that and then come out on the other side and they're like, see in six weeks. And then you go home and you're like, what am I doing? And there's no one to support you. No one's, you know, bringing you food or helping you with anything, and you're just so overwhelmed. That, to me, that's what gave me postpartum depression. I don't think it was my hormones at all. And I think, yeah, you have, you're left to process a lot without knowing that you need to process a lot. Right. I think we don't, this is part of motherhood that we just, we don't prepare for. We prepare Mm -hmm. a lot of times now for birth. Women will make a birth plan and they'll choose their care provider and they'll have all these plans but they don't plan for afterwards and Mm -hmm. they don't know what to do if they did have trauma how to recognize it how to work through it how do you make it different next time uh so it, it can be it can be a lot and i think mental health is obviously something that 
it's being more talked about now and less stigmatized mm-hmm. now, but I think it's still not talked about enough when it comes to birth and motherhood. It's mm-hmm. one of the top uh, causes of death of women in the first year postpartum is suicide. Yeah. It's it's way up there. And, and this would be a good reason why, you know, they're exhausted, probably haven't slept in a year and they have all these yeah. uh, expectations on them that they already had plus all these new expectations and they're trying to learn how mm-hmm. to do all these things like breastfeeding, get a baby to sleep and what do I feed them and what do they wear and what do, they, what do I do at their medical appointments? And it's just so much that I, I you know, it doesn't surprise me, but it's horrible. And it needs to get better. So sad. Yeah. Yeah. I very, uh, it makes me so, so sad to even talk about, but I've had friends with the unthinkable happen in both a home birth setting mm-hmm. and a hospital setting. And it's, um, it's something that I wish no woman ever had to experience where the baby has, has not lived. Um, and the big thing that I've seen, and this is again, personal experiences. I can't speak for everyone, but, um, a friend who lost her baby with a um, incredible midwife has still not been left alone. She's still being taken care of. Um, she's a, almost like a part of a family where she's still um, very much involved in their lives. Where um, another friend who it was a hospital setting. I mean, I don't know if she ever talked to her doctor after the six-week checkup again. Um, and those two things are, they're really devastating um, situations that, I, you know, I'm so sad have happened, but it's still wild going her aftercare still been tremendous. Like she's still having her emotional and physical needs met. Um, and I don't know that, I don't know that that can be offered in a current medical setting. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's just, it's not set up for that. It's set up to take care of a kind of a medical issue. And they consider birth a medical issue. And once your baby is born, no matter what happens, there's no, there just is no follow-up. It's not set up for that. Whether you do have a live baby or if, like you said, the unthinkable happens and you leave without that you're kind of on your own to figure out if you need yeah. any other kind of support, who that would even be and where would you find them? You know, and right. that's one other area where midwifery really shines is, you know, all of that support. It's just, it's about supporting the woman. It's not right. about uh, just making sure that nobody dies, which is what it's yeah. in the hospital. You really want the best for that woman. People who get into midwifery, they that's what mid, midwife means, with woman. Yeah. I remember with our last, um, my 24-hour checkup happened to be my, my birthday, and my midwife came this. I've, I had had this dream where I had hydrangeas um, at the birth. So you know how you have these dreams, mm-hmm. and then you're like, I got to have hydrangeas at my birth. Well, the hydrangeas died. And I was like, is this, is this like, this isn't good. And I was so sad. And so she showed up to this 24 hour checkup with these beautiful hydrangeas and um, like truffles. And, and it was just this like, 
I a lot of times, you know, everything's like baby, 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 because that's where we're so excited that I was like, man, she loves me and she sees me and she's celebrating me. And I like I laughed as I sobbed about these hydrangeas because it was so silly, but it was like she genuinely cares mm-hmm. about me and this thing that mattered to me. And I, I was like, I want to gift that to every every woman. Mm-hmm. Like like they all deserve this. And mm-hmm. yeah. The world would be a totally different place if women had care like that. You know, I, I want, yeah, I want your midwife. I, my, my midwives in my last birth were, were really good, but they weren't bringing me hydrangeas and truffles. So I might have to like, if I have another fly yours out. (laughs) Yeah. She's, she is the best, I think. And I just, yeah, but it just, having those experiences, I'm not anti- anything but i am very much pro i want women to be cared for and um yeah to be to be gifted something that is seen as taboo or something in our culture that i'm like no this is this is like really 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 good Mm -hmm. this isn't the yeah it's it's just such night and a couple things backwards yeah and I'm not anti anything either. I think everything has its place. I obviously have my preferences based on what I've chosen and what I, the way I talk about things. Um, right. But I just feel like, you know, 99% of women have a birth in a hospital and a hospital is what a hospital is. And you, if you have to go there or you want to go there, you need to know some of the things that you and I both didn't know when, when we went in. About right. how a hospital is run, about what their goals are, and about what to expect and what your rights are. And yes, if you don't know those things, it can go much differently than you're imagining it will. You just need to be prepared in ways that you wouldn't imagine you needed to be prepared because you just trust that you go in there and they're going to do what's best for you. Their idea of what's best for you might not be the actual what's best for you. Um, or what's, uh-huh. it might be what's best for them. So, yeah, I want everybody yeah, to have I've, good experiences like like you and I have had. It's just, it's difficult because there are a lot of barriers. But by by talking about this stuff, we'll give people an opportunity to say, wait a minute, is this the best choice for me? Or is there another option? Maybe I should ask more questions to find out if that's right for me. Uh-huh. Just by hearing other women's stories, I think. It it can open up a yeah. lot. I never want to share with like, this is what you should do. Mm-hmm. I want people to know this is what I did. These are my experiences. This is my story. And I just want you to be aware of like the options. And yeah, like you said, the rights you have and the choices you have. Um, because I think had someone shared with me their experiences, I wouldn't have had my first experience that really has i mean like i said i i still feel that intense back pain every now and then and um the tailbone and just so many things that came with my first that Mm -hmm. maybe didn't need to happen right um and i can't live in that you know in that mindset of i wish it was different but i do hope that in sharing parts of my story it encourages other women to research and to get educated and to become aware of, yeah, 
well, and I the think care they deserve. I think it will, and I I totally appreciate you being here and being vulnerable and sharing all of this stuff because I do feel like it changes women's perspective on things when they hear what other people have experienced, especially when it's positive stories and all they've mm-hmm. heard is scary stuff from friends or from yeah. movies or wherever it is that they know there are other options out there and other women are doing this and they might start with you or they might start with me and then start finding that there are actually a lot more women who've realized that they have more options than they're being told. And then they feel a little more confident standing up for themselves. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks for being here. to have a place to to share our stories. This was really good. So if people want to learn more about you or find you, where can they find you? I'm on Instagram at Amanda Pauls. A lot of people ask that same question you did. Is it pals? Yeah. Well, I just wanted to make sure. Amanda Pauls. Yep. Nope. I get asked that all the time. It's a German name. Mm-hmm. And then um, I do have a blog, manapulse.com, but I haven't really, I haven't hung up there much. So Instagram. <laughs> so you can go there, but. You can go there. You can read a lot of old stuff. I keep saying, I'm going to start, I'm going to start writing again. I'm going to start blogging, but. It's a lot of work. It is. It's a lot of work. Right. It's a lot of upkeep. I actually had a blog years ago. I think I was pregnant with my first. And it's still there, but. Like yeah. not related to, I don't even know what I put on there. There's a cookie recipe though. That's good. If you guys want to check that out, it's called the holistic grail, okay. which is like, you know, the holy grail, but the, the holy grail. Oh, I, like I thought it. I was funny. Um, and I took a lot of photos and, and stuff, but I will say I got really stressed out. That stressed me out a lot because I was like, I have, the people are waiting. The people are waiting for the next thing. Like who, need- who are the people, Sarah? <laughs> Nobody's even looking at this damn thing. My my birth stories are there. Oh, okay. My latest. I I haven't updated it since our fourth. But if you want more, yeah, more details there. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone, go check out Amanda's stuff. You can get in touch with her on Instagram, like I did. And your whole feed is just so beautiful, and your home, and the clothes oh. that your children wear, and it's just very yeah. very inspiring. My kids are wearing. I don't even know what they're wearing. Half their stuff's got I, holes in it. All the yeah, I say for every pretty photo, there is a mess that I stuffed under the bed yeah. for that photo, or in my closet. And it's a pretty feed, but uh, there's a lot of yeah. Well, I've seen a lot of I've seen that scenes. too, where you share some of that, and I think people people like that because they like to know. Like, of course, if you're going to be putting stuff out there, you want it to look nice if you if you can help it. But what we right. show the world, whether it's on Instagram or in real life is not often the whole picture. Like my dining room yeah, table to be... right now is like three baskets of laundry, uh, a bunch of cards. Like we don't do, beautiful. I haven't done Christmas cards in the last couple of years. Instead, I decided to do New Year's cards because then I'm like, that just washes me clear of all of that. And then I'll just Genius. send it in January and then you'll put me on your fridge for the whole year. So we haven't done that yet. So I'm going to copy that. I like well, that. I have it. Done. It actually started, which is a funny story. I was like stressed out about it and I somehow came across um, uh, a design for, it was like sort of a Christmas card, sort of a New Year's card that said uh, whatever year it was, uh, New Year's resolution 2020 or whatever it was, Mm -hmm. send out Christmas cards on time. And so 
So close. I sent that out in January. And then the next year I was like, you know what? I'm just going to keep this going. No one sends out New Year's cards. You got all your Christmas cards down by now. And now you get this card you weren't expecting. You thought I was a jerk and didn't send you one. Nope. I'm just on a different timeline. I like yeah. it. All right. I like it. Well, thanks again for being here. And yes, it was, thank it was you. such a good conversation. And thank you everyone for listening. And we will see you next week. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Birth Uprising podcast. Together, we can create an uprising in the birth world. Don't forget to share and subscribe so you can be notified every time a new episode is released. Thank you.